Father God, I pray that uh, my words will, will be your words today. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Um, we, we, we heard the, the words of uh, the Bible in the Old Testament, Exodus, about how the, the um, children of Israel were, were led out of Egypt. Um, and, the, you know, the Bible has a lot to say, doesn't it? But it does leave some questions as well for me. Um, I'm reminded of the story of um, God when he told Lot to take his wife and flee out into the desert before he destroyed the cities of, of the plague, Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and we know that Lot's wife was turned to, to salt, but what I want to know is what happened to the flea? <laughs> Think about it. I was reminded when I was thinking about this um, this sermon, I thought I, I was <laughs> I'd just been to my parents and got a load of books. Some of them were my old books from, from school, and it sort of brought back happy memories of school. Some not so happy. Um, and one of the, the, the things I, I, I remembered when I looked at the front of this book, um, it was presented by, um, I won something, which was extraordinary because I didn't win anything in school, but I did obviously win something. It had like a, a printed thing, you know, presented to NC Bosper, um, lower sixth in, um, and, and it was signed by the deputy head. I don't know why the head didn't sign it. Obviously, well, I didn't win an important enough award to be signed by the head. But the, the deputy head was called Ernest, Ernest Badman. Um, and it brought back memories of Ernie, as we used to call him, although he'd never called that to his face. Um, he, he, he'd been gassed in the war, which is extraordinary. Um, and he, he only got one lung. So we used to call him One Lung Ernie. Um, and he used to have a, a little cart with an oxygen tank on it, and he, and he was hooked up to this oxygen tank, and he used to sort of go along the corridors, he knew it was Ernie coming, because he had a walking stick and an oxygen cylinder, so he used to kind of make a noise that sounded sort of... <laughs> so he could never creep up on anyone. But what he used to do was scream at the top of his voice. He had a very loud voice for one man, or a man with only one lung. And I'd never forget one of the, what, but he used to scream in Latin because he was a Latin teacher. So, I mean, why? I don't know, because we were English and we don't speak Latin. But he used to scream at the top of his voice, Vospa quo vadis! Gotta go into the library, sir. That's okay. And you, you'd be on your way. And, and that's, that's the title of this. It, it, it brought back this memory of that, that phrase in Latin, quo vadis, which means, where are you going? And I thought, where, where are we going? Life's a journey, isn't it? We're told. Where are we going? It's a, it's a fundamental question. Um, and and there's, a, there's a story of a, of, a, of a minister that's sitting with a dying man. And um, he, he sort of leaned over to, to the dying man and said, renounce the devil and all his, his works. Let him, let, let him know how little you think of, of, of his evil. And the dying man said nothing. Priest repeated his words. Renounce the devil and all his sins. And the dying man said nothing still. And, and the, the priest repeated it. Why do you refuse to renounce the devil and all his evil ways? And the dying man said, well, till I know where I'm going, I don't think I ought to antagonise him. 
<laughs> Which is sad, really, isn't it? If you don't know where you're going. <coughs> and I, I was, um, I heard an evangelist recently, actually, on, on the TV. It was a Dutch thing. I, I watched quite a lot of Dutch TV, which is, is why I don't speak Dutch at all. I just like their TV. Um, and there was an evangelist who was speaking in English, fortunately, and, he, and he, he said this, if you don't know where you're going when you die, it's not safe to die. Which I, struck me as a kind of a, a good phrase. If we don't know where we're going when we die, it's not safe to die. It really isn't safe because the Bible lays out exactly what's going to happen if we die um, and we don't, um, we don't follow Jesus. What chances we have. It's not great. It's not woolly. <laughs> it's very black and white. Romans 4.25 says, we are delivered over to death for our sins. And then later in that book, Romans 6.23, the one we all know, the wages of sin is death. So it's not, it's not um, woolly in any way. If we don't follow God and we don't believe in him, then we are doomed to, to eternal damnation. And I was thinking back to Ernie Badman again, and he um, used to teach us lots of, he, he did classics, he did Greek and Latin as well, which, which is what I did. Um, and in, in Greek mythology, there's the story of Prometheus. You get very wide-ranging sermon here. You get in Greek mythology, you get in kind of, you know, jokes, everything. And in Greek mythology, Prometheus is, is kind of held up as, it was, when I was studying it, it was held up as, as a way that, that actually you could upset the gods, um, pay the price, and then be reconciled to the gods again. Now, I know we don't believe in the gods, and certainly I'm not espousing that, but I think this is kind of a, a, a misreading of what actually happened. If you, if, for those of you that don't know the story of Prometheus, he um, got on fine with the gods up on Mount Olympus um, and uh, enjoyed their protection and their confidence, and he was kind of their go-to guy. Um, but then he stole fire from Mount Olympus and he gave it to mankind, which was nice for mankind because got, they got fire, but the gods did not like that at all. And they punished him by pegging him out on a rock and having birds peck out his liver every night and then um, every day and then overnight his liver would grow back again ready for the next pecking out session the next day and this went on for 30 years so you know not nice <laughs> that's why we like greek and latin because their, their, their mythology is fantastically gory when you're a kind of you know 16 year old schoolboy, that's fantastic isn't it having your liver pecked out but the point I'm trying to make here is after 30 years, the gods got kind of got fed up with this and they, they restored him and they kind of brought him back to, um, to live with them on, on Olympus again and, and all was well. So he, he had a kind of limited period of torture. Now, the Bible tells us very clearly, sadly, that that is not what we can expect if we don't follow Jesus that our torture in hell is going to be permanent. There is no way back. Um, I'm just going to read some words from Luke 16. 
um, which is about Lazarus and the rich man. Um, so if you want to follow it, it's, it's um, Luke 16, verse 20-ish. So there was a rich man who was dressed in purple, actually this is 19, and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At the gate, at his gate, lay a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died. The angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades, where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away. So Abraham was in heaven with Lazarus by his side. So he looked, so he called out to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from, from here to you cannot, nor can anyone, cross over from there to us. So it's permanent. It's not a 30-year torture and then uh, God will relent and kind of let you back in. Quite worrying, isn't it? On the other hand, we also know that God has done uh, great, has great things in store for those people who do turn to him. John 3.16, we know this verse. But God so loved the world, he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not die, but have eternal life. John 6.40, for my father's will is that everyone who looks to the son, Jesus, and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So if we make the right choices, eternal life with Jesus, eternal life with God, a splendid feast, a mansion with many rooms, a party, all things, all ways that have been described, uh, ways used to describe this prize, which is ours through Christ. So we're all on a journey. We're all on a journey individually. In our faith, in our lives, we're also on a journey as a as a church, and and so this this sermon has sort of a double resonance. It's intended to talk about our individual journeys, but it's also <clears throat> thinking about us as our journey as a church together. And John Bunyan, uh, in his in his famous uh, work, *The Pilgrim's Progress*, talks about the journey which every every uh, person makes and um, he's under no illusions that, that we're all on a journey um, I'm going to read um, just a little section um, from the Pilgrim's Progress bear with bear with caller so there are these characters which are sort of allegorical characters that Bunyan introduces um, and one of them is called obstinate, one of them is called pliable. So this talks about their character, as you, as you can see. Um, 
one of them's called Christian, the main kind of uh, person in the, in the book who goes on the, the, the progress, the pilgrim's progress, the journey. And, um, and then one of them's called the evangelist, who we're sort of, you know, it's allegorical, but it could be Jesus, could be John the Baptist, but it's certainly a Christian that he's leading people. Uh, and this little section talks about <clears throat> pliable. Um, so, well, neighbor, obstinate, said pliable. I begin to come to the point. I intend to go with this good man, that's Christian, and cast in my lot with him. But my good companion, do you know the way to this desired place? Because Christian has had a dream in which he, he, he's supposed to go on a journey. Doesn't know quite where, so he's looking for signposts along the way. Christian says, I'm directed by a man whose name is Evangelist to speed me to a little gate that is before us where we shall receive instructions about the way. Bible says, come then, good neighbour, let us be going. And they both went out together. It's a really good book. I can really recommend it. Um, so if you haven't read Pilgrim's Progress, it's, it's quite easy to read. Um, some of the language is a bit old-fashioned, but it really hits home. So we're on this journey and we're sort of looking for signposts along the way. And the good news is that God gives us very clear instructions in his word. He gives us clear instructions. And if we are able to, to, to listen to him, we're going to get the instructions about where he wants us to go, both as a church and uh, as individuals. John Bunyan wrote of this, that the, the, the Christian eventually reached the promised land. Um, and that's it in itself is an echo of, of um, the, the biblical story that, that we heard from Christopher about the Israelites and the Exodus out of Egypt. Um, it's the, the, the actual Exodus and the wanderings around uh, in the desert of, of the people of Israel is itself an allegorical likeness to our own lives. Sometimes we do feel like we're wandering around in a bit of a desert and we don't quite know where we're going. And some people see the crossing of the Red Sea at the start of the journey as the rebirth of the nation um, after being born from the womb of the captivity in Egypt. The experiences of being led by the cloudy pillar and the fiery pillar, do you remember that? when they were being led across the desert, very clearly by God, where they were supposed to go, being signposted by, by God. It, it's, it's supposed to make us think about how God can lead us. And I was reading, um, rereading a book that I read years and years ago, which is called Like a Mighty Wind by Mel Tari, which talks about the uh, revival in... East Timor in the 1960s. So it's not that long ago. I mean, I was alive then when it was just about when it was um, when it was happening. There's some incredible stories in this book about how God was doing miracles. One of the miracles that He used to do was lead people um, through the jungle and through paths that, that they would not have been able to find their way, and He did it. In exactly the same way as he did it in the Bible by using a fire and uh, a cloudy pillar or a fire that they could follow. So I just want to read you a little section from this because this is 
<clears throat> now, people think that, 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 that God is not doing what he did in the Bible, and that, that's simply not true. Many times, we had to walk at night, or we had to travel through dark jungles. It's very difficult. We have no maps to find our way, but God just told us to pray for light. He gave children of Israel light, so why wouldn't he give it to us too? The Bible never changes. The light of God, the light that God gave us after we prayed, would be like the landing light of an aircraft. When the light would go left, we would go left. When it moved to the right, we would go to the right. As it went forward, we would go forward. Finally, we'd come to the village, church, or home where God wanted us to minister. The Lord led us many times through the darkness of the jungle this way. We wouldn't know the way, but we just followed the light. When we would follow the light, we'd always come to the exact place where the Lord wanted us to go. Isn't that amazing? Wouldn't it be great to have the faith to be able to pray for a physical signpost sometimes? And I, I've, I've experienced this in my own life. Um, and people in my home group will have heard me talk about it because it's a very powerful thing to me. I was on a Duke Edinburgh's um, expedition in the Welsh mountains in 1979. Um, this was the days before health and safety, where they could just chuck a bunch of 18-year-olds out into the Welsh mountains and say, we'll come back and pick you up uh, in two days' time. You find your way over the top of it, get a bus in the dark, that'd be fine. No mobile phones, obviously, no, just a map and a tent. Anyway, we went up this mountain, got completely lost, and the mist came down. We were stumbling around, finding our, we couldn't see out in front of your face with this low cloud. And I was getting worried, and I was praying, and I just said, God, please show us the way. And I heard this very, very, very clear voice, a physical voice in my head going, stop. So we stopped. And I just said to the, there were three other lads with me, I just said, we've got to stop now. This is silly, wandering around. God just told me to stop. <clears throat> they thought I was bonkers. Um, we put this tent up, although we didn't put the tent up because it blew away as we were trying to put it up. Um, so we sort of lay and had a horrible, shivery, wet night in this mist. And the mist cleared in the morning, and we realised that we were about 10 metres from a sheer cliff that we would have just walked off had we continued where we were going. So that's God working in, in my life, just absolutely, no doubt, saving my life. So we're not, we're not led willy-nilly through the world and through our lives. God knows where we're going. Okay, that's something we need to kind of hold on to. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my way. God provided for the people of Israel, and they were led in the desert. Um, he gave them water, didn't he? He gave them food. Uh, he gave them laws. He gave them everything they needed to get through their journey. And so God will do the same for us. There's no doubt about it. God will provide. He's a provident God. And the Israelites, of course, eventually reached the promised land. 
and we will reach our promised land as well. That's eternal life with God in heaven. There's a story of some frogs and their, uh, their pool that they'd been in for a number of years was drying up due to global warming. And uh, yeah, just due to global warming. Really. It's probably all Greta Thunberg's fault. <laughs> and the frog leader uh, suggested that they make this long cross-country journey to find another pool. So they all kind of had a meeting, a frog meeting, and voted and said, yeah, we're going to go for it. So they set out on this journey. <clears throat> they were absolutely tired out um, and thirsty. And they eventually came across a road where there were some deep ruts in the middle of the road um, that they filled with water. And uh, they had a great time splashing around in the middle of the road, uh, refreshing themselves, thinking it was this was great. And then the leader um, gave the signal that they should be moving on and, and uh, con continuing the journey. So they all hopped out of the rut, uh, except one frog. He couldn't get out of his rut. He, uh, he wanted to stay there because he thought it was great. Um, he liked water in the rut. Also, he was in the middle of the road, but that didn't hurt. Everyone tried to talk him out of it, you know, well, you know, come with us. He said, no, no, I'm going to stay. So eventually they had to leave him behind and they went on their journey and continued. <clears throat> and then they, they heard a crashing through the undergrowth and, and this, this, this little frog was catching them up, running and going, oh, 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 glad I caught you, glad I caught you. And they were going, well, how come you, you know, you're catching us up now? Why well, I thought you were staying in your lovely little rut. He said, well, this truck came along and I sort of had to get out really. And I think we can all find kind of comfortable places to rest, can't we, sometimes? We can find comfortable places to rest in our own spiritual journeys, where we're not really being challenged. We might be quite content in what we're doing, in how our relationship with God is. But I think the Holy Spirit comes along sometimes and kicks us out of that rut, just like that frog. And we need to listen to the Holy Spirit's calling. Because maybe there's danger in the rut that we're in. And he's kind of saying, you've got to get out because the journey hasn't finished, but you're not supposed to be there. And the Israelites found out the hard way because they disobeyed God and, and their wanderings in the desert lasted 40 years. But they did eventually reach the promised land. And the promised land is the beginning of life, not the end of life. So I suppose what I'm saying is really, I think God is saying to us, we may be in a, in a kind of time of change. Maybe we're kind of in, the, in a rut. I don't know that we're in a rut. I'm not saying that. But either personally or as a church, we need to continue our journey and we need to pray but God will signpost the way for us. And I know he will. So I think prayer is the key here. So I want to thank uh, Ernie Batman for reminding me and screaming down the corridor, Quo Vardis, Bosper! 
because it kind of spawned all this. So if you're ever asked, probably not by any Batman, I'm sure he's long gone. If you're ever asked, where are you going? Do you know where you're going? Good. Let's pray. Father God, just thank you that because we can believe in you, because of what you did on the cross, we know where we're going. And I just pray, Lord, that as a church, as individuals, you might make that abundantly clear to us. That you'll signpost the way, just like you did with the, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Just like you've done to thousands of other people who've trusted you. You've shown them the way to go. I just pray, Lord, that you'd make those signposts clear. Just pray, Lord, that we would pray and listen to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Nick, Nick can I just say something? Yes. Following on to what you said, um, it, it was years ago, um, a long time ago, actually. I was coming back from Yorkshire and um, I'm not, I'm not, this is not, I'm not trying to be spiritual or anything, but it's just something. And, and I felt inside that I should go and see our old pastor, Graham Pigley. This was years ago. This was even before, well, he's, he just had his son born. His son is now a street preacher, so that's how long ago he is. And um, I felt I should go and see him or go to his home. But I didn't know where he lived. And I was coming back and I found myself driving into Wakefield and I didn't know where I was going. And but in my head it was something about Christian police. Christian because because Graham, our pastor, he worked for the Christian Police Association. And I found myself driving into Wakefield Prison. And <laughs> And then, and I also went to go to the toilet. <laughs> so I, I went up to this uh, kind of reception place, and, um, and I said, I'm kind of your toilet. So I, they undid the cell, you know, the bars, you know, and let me into the prison so I could relieve myself. And I came back to the desk, and I said, um, I'm looking for Graham Pickhaver. I mean, the, the associate, what, association was that, you know, he was in the Christian Police Association, and this was a prison, so there might be something there. And the guy behind the counter said, I'm his neighbour. I'm just going home. Do you want to follow me? <laughs> now, that was completely out of the blue. I mean, God does guy. <laughs> that doesn't happen every day. <laughs> it's a very rare occurrence, but uh, I just thought I'd say that. Thank you. Here you go. Let's, uh, let's sing our final song.